I want to say 1988 for our next film, Beyond the Silver Globe, Ben. But uh, that wouldn't quite be true, would it? So before you no. tell us, about, so in fact, no, before we get to the checkered history, of which it, that, that is quite interesting, let me just say what this film is for me. It's a two and a half hour long sci-fi that looks absolutely awful, that has no interesting storytelling, and is absolutely not worthy of my time. Never mind your time. So over to you, Ben, for the rest of the review and the, what what is actually interesting checkered history of. Andrzej Zalewski's 1988, Beyond the Silver Globe. On on the Silver Globe. Andrzej Zalewski's, um, I think we're in 1977, I think he yeah. started this film. So On the Silver Globe is a science fiction film. It's based on a science fiction book by Jerzy Zalewski, Andrzej Zalewski's grandfather. Mm. Uh, it is a film about astronauts leaving Earth, landing on another planet, starting a society there, and beginning a kind of messiah religion story in a nutshell that's what it's all about um it's for me a very interesting film it's very difficult to sit through i will say that right now so uh Zalowski started making this um in poland with the polish government in i think 1977 um, he made this for a year. They film in some absolutely fascinating um, locations. So they're in the Caucasus. I believe they're in the Gobi Desert. Wonderful places. Um, huge number of extras and a lot of kind of props going on with these astronauts kind of wandering this this new planet they've landed on. Um, the astronauts have cameras in their heads as well. Um, so everything is seen from POV for pretty much the entire movie. Everything is just POV of people walking around. Um, as when the astronauts get to the alien planet, you seem, I don't know if, if, if you felt this or maybe, maybe you zoned out a little bit, but are we experiencing a time compression thing going on here as well? Are we watching some people kind of, are we watching things happen very, very quickly, or are we seeing people live extraordinary lengths of time? I, I'm I have not... no idea because I didn't make it past 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, this film gets kind of interesting as it goes on. So... No, I flick through just to make sure, no. <laughs> These astronauts leave Earth, go to this other planet, um, and they, they very quickly go nuts and they start having children and a whole society is built up which has its own kind of rules and religion which is based on the original astronaut who landed on this planet. So they kind of make a messiah out of this person but as the film goes on they start questioning, wait a minute, is our messiah an outcast from Earth or is he actually a chosen one? And they start questioning everything that their society is built on. The Polish government took a look at this kind of script and thought, hang on a minute, I think we're being, um, we're being laughed at here. Uh, this film is about us and totalitarian regimes, so shut it down. So the Polish government shut it down in, I think, 1978, um, and they asked for all footage to be destroyed, all props and costumes to be destroyed. <clears throat> uh, that didn't happen. Everything was retained. So 10 years later, in 1988, Zalowski filmed um, like five or 10 extra minutes of contemporary Poland. And then he did voiceover to explain what should have been in these sections of the film. It's, it's all missing, missing segments that were never filmed, which is a crying shame. Um, but, you know, finally he gets this story kind of stitched together. It's very, very difficult. It's very unuser-friendly. Um, 
But at the same time, I don't know. I, I, I find this film kind of interesting. As soon as I finished watching it, I thought, I'm going to have to watch this again in order to understand it better. And I don't really want to watch this again in order to understand it better. But I agree. No, for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. I agree I, with. I mean, basically, the thing is, the, the, this, more than a lot of his other films, is a timepiece, even yes. though it takes place in two different times. <laughs> so you know what I mean? But, um, but for that reason, it's kind of like... Why am I watching it, and how is it relevant? And that's the mm-hmm. thing. I'm looking. I'm looking to see how it how it how it was relevant then, but also mm-hmm. how it's relevant now, because that's what we we reviewing directors. That's what we do on these director reviews. How does it work now? As much as where it was, and how it took place then, um, and there is no justification for this movie, in my opinion. It just doesn't do anything good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there the, there are reasons for that. I'm sure, but um, no, his. Basically, what we're going to get to towards the end of this bit now um, is have a little... It's, well, maybe not right now, but generally speaking, we're going to have this about storytelling in movies, basically. Yeah. And how important that actually is. Um, now, quite a few director reviews that we've done so far, they're not necessarily known for absolutely amazing storytelling. They're known for either the way that a film has been shot or the way a, a film has been made, uh, production-wise. Um Tarkovsky and Zalavsky have an awful lot in common, Ben. Yeah, they do. I would put them... I mean, we we've, we, we talk about this on the Tark, Tarkovsky episode that precedes uh, this particular series review. Um, whereas we, we kind of come to the conclusion that he would have been a far better novelist than a filmmaker. Mm. Um, he is capable... He is... And, you know, the proof is in the episode. Listen to us and tell us which three or four out of his vast collection uh, that we actually do recommend as pieces of genuine brilliance. Mm. Uh, but a lot of the time, it's often one or two scenes in a movie rather than the movie itself. Yeah. Um, and Z- Zalowski, again, I don't think has an awful lot of interest in telling stories. No. He wants to tell. He wants to sort of tell a story, but make it in, in a really interesting way. The problem mm. here, though, is that, and this is going to come on to the next one as well, yep. is that I've seen all the camera angles before. I've seen this level of, of I, I don't even know what the word is really. Um, this, this, I, I've seen this level of shit basically um, quite a few times already from Zalewski. Like it has no interest in being either pretty or consistent in tone or whatever. It's just what he does, yeah. and uh, consistently throughout this process of the recent review, I haven't enjoyed it. Um, there's probably going to be one or two other films later on as we get towards the end of this that I won't enjoy too. Um, but that's just the way it is. And as for this particular one. Um, again, I've seen I've seen it all before. Later on, by other people, earlier yeah, yeah. by other directors, that yeah, yeah. I get something out of. I don't get anything out of this film whatsoever. It looks truly awful. It, again, it has no interest in storytelling, and I really yeah. can't repeat myself anymore. It's just not worthy of anyone's time, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, it, like, it, it, I, in terms of how it looks, it looks like a student dicking about with a cap with a handheld camera. Yeah. It looks like a student film that people have been given all this, all this access to these really exciting bits of equipment in their relative film colleges around the US, UK, Europe, whatever, and they just go, oh, my God, oh, 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 I'm going to do a sci-fi, and we're going to have like aliens and time-travelling shit, and it's like we're going to make a great having fucking get all my mates involved and have a brilliant, brilliant time. It's like one of those things for me. Yeah. But no, it's actually meant to be more than that, I think, but I really can't see how. There, there, yeah, there is supposed to be more than that. It's, it's extremely difficult. I actually, I really like the way this film looks. Um, I'm not crazy about the, the, the what we'd call the grade, um, but I, I really like the production design, and um, there, I think there are some astonishing 
visual sequences in this film. Everyone on the beach, the people on the on the sticks, um, on the the um, impaled on spikes. Um, that's a hell of a thing. Just thinking about how they would shoot that sequence with all the bodies um, impaled on these spikes. I, I just thinking about how they organised that just makes me tired and want to lie down. And they're like, oh god, that would take so long. Um, and it's just one brief moment. There, there are bits in this film that I really like the look of, but I, I completely hear you on all of this. I really do. I'm not. I would never fight to defend this movie. No. It's extraordinarily difficult, um, and the fact that it's unfinished and has to be plugged in with sequences filmed in contemporary Poland with Zalowski himself doing the voiceover just makes it more difficult, really. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, I'm, glad, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad we. If I couldn't care less, if there's any, if there's any, if there's any film that looks like it started in one decade and finished in the next one, it's this one. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, this really yeah. is so apparent that that's the case. Um, yeah, my nights are more beautiful than your days, Ben. Um, yeah. So comparing, what have, we, what, what have we got here? So comparing on the Silver Globe to my nights are more beautiful than your days <laughs> is, I think, a really interesting example. Seventies are over. Here are the 80s. Yeah. So My Nights Are More Beautiful Than Your Days is um, 1988, 89. Um, this is Zalowski in Lamor Brack kind of mode. Uh, yeah. Over the top, colourful, boombastic, loud costumes, production design. We're in the 80s here. So it's a film about this. Hold on a second. It's a film about what's the lead character called? Lucas, who is diagnosed with a rare disease. Um, he's going to lose his memory. He's going to lose the ability to speak properly. Um, he uh, as he's going through this experience, he meets this young woman um, who is played by Sophie Marceau, who does a, a kind of strange, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, a, like a psychic act um, at a nightclub where she kind of reads people's minds and takes her clothes off. Um, her and Lucas kind of get together and the film slowly plays out um these two people kind of bouncing off each other um this is for me a hundred percent the weakest Zalowski film so far and i don't really know why um it's loud and it's over the top and it's colorful and there are there are two people in this that i like jacques dutronc um who was uh, one of the supporting cast in Lampotin Sedemer back in 1975 he's back in the lead this time mr up 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 indeed sophie marceau the lead from lamelbrack she's back again um and yet somehow this film with its crazy characters and potentially engaging storyline just never really gets going for me i don't know why but i did this is the film that i'm least interested in in Zalowski. one thing that i should have said about a million other Zalowski films um but i'm going to say it about this film is that there's a scene in this film where a scene ends and then the next scene begins and it's just a dialogue scene but that dialogue scene is played out in the middle of the champs-elysees in Paris, the two characters sitting in the middle of a busy road with cars going either side of them. And this is something I haven't mentioned about Zalowski before, but should have done. Is that one of the things I just love about him is where he sets his scenes. So you have a, a scene on paper, which is dialogue between two characters furthering the plot, and he'll just have that scene take place in somewhere where no one else would have it take place. 
So in this film, it happens in the middle of a busy road, cars going either side. That's just not that that film. That scene is supposed to be set in a cafe or walking along a street or another kind of anodyne run of the mill setting where you've seen it a billion times before. But Zlowski doesn't do that. He takes scenes and he put, he drops them in places where it would be very odd for that scene to take place. Um, and that's something that I really like about him, even in a film that I find as kind of unaffecting as My Night's More Beautiful Than Your Days. Still still have that kind of like, good on you, Andre, going on. That's yeah. what I, I mean, how, how you feel about this one is how I feel about nearly all the ones he's ever done. Um, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're finally on board. Uh, evidently, <laughs> it was going to happen at some point, even though he's a director that you love, and even though it was your idea to do this review. I'm glad we finally reached a level of agreement, Ben, on this. Um, I, I mean, just, no, look... I can tell you why this film doesn't work. On, it's because the story isn't interesting enough. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because and, and no and, and and that has never mattered before. I say ironically because <laughs> before there were camera angles we hadn't seen before. There were shots we haven't seen before. But guess what? We've seen it all many times before already. So therefore, if what what crumbs of storytelling he actually gives a fuck about giving to the birds on this occasion. Yeah. then it's completely not there. And therefore, because we've seen all the camera angles and we've seen the shots before, they're not, that has no effect this time. It doesn't prop up the weak story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned the Champs-Élysées scene. That's fine. Well done, Paris, for having the Champs-Élysées. Um, I, I, I would give... Uh, we should do a direct review on the Champs-Élysées, but we're not going to do that. Um, no. Yeah, this is no. this is a difficult film. I mean, there's got to be someone out there for whom this is their favourite Zolowski film. There if are people person... out there that have his first film as their favourite. Oh, dude, I I really like his first film. I'm a, I know, I, I tolerate, I, I at least tolerate, but, but that would work for me as a concept. I mean, we're not at the stage yet where we're actually going to do the overall review yet, so we'll, we'll no. park that. But what I will say is, at that point, you haven't seen the camera angles before, you haven't seen the no, shots no. before. And that would be the best Zolowski film if you if that's the only one that you watch. <laughs> because obviously things will get a lot more hectic later on in his career, which we've already previously discussed, obviously. And that's when he take that's when he is able to take it to a new level. So yeah. I think the eighties hit this guy really hard as well. I don't think he ever really recovered. So well, 80s well ma- kind of mainly because as music. as discussed, he's been making eighties style films. In the in the in early seventies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, he, I think he never really recovered from. It. See, he, he like he starts finding his feet, and then he's like with possession. He's really like, okay, yeah, I've I've, I've got this now. But somehow the eighties kind of yeah. ran through him like a stick of rock, and so by this point. Everything is glossy. Everything is colourful. The music is just so boombastic and kind of Giorgio Moroder esque. Um, and he, like he won't really drop this. He, he will kind of keep an eighties feel, yeah. even even beyond the eighties. Um, I mean, to be fair, that that is a thing across art. Like yeah. so many so many bands struggled in the eighties. Yeah. Some of the some of the truly great artists of our time, their worst material was recorded in the eighties. Yeah, just... we're looking at you. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and countless others. I mean, there, there was a genuine decade change. I mean, yeah. be, between the, uh, and not every decade is completely different. Like the late end to the, the late ends to the sixties do blend into the early seventies in all sorts That's of different right. ways. Yeah. The massive change, though, is from is from the mid seventies onwards to the eighties. Yeah. That yeah. jump yeah. is just like it's like a different planet, and you see yeah. it in movies. Yeah. Um, really- and you and you kind of and again, not everyone comes out of it squeaky clean and. Uh, 
well, for me, Zlatan has been struggling throughout his entire career so far throughout the decades. But <laughs> at least, at least before it sort of made sense. Uh, yeah. You know, these two particular films we've just bunched together. Not so much, but um, no, yeah, very. We, 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 <laughs> Sorry, the, the the billowing curtains are um, just too much of a feature. <laughs> yeah. Or beautiful New York Day. There's just way too much billowy curtain going on in this movie. Mm. Um, and the, the, like the central concept, a guy who's losing his ability to think and to use language is something that should be much more interesting to the the kind of language obsessed person that Solovsky is. And yet somehow, somehow, this just really doesn't work for me. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe I'll watch it again in 10 years and change my mind, but I don't think so. So, 1989, Boris Gadinov ben we're moving towards the back end of the 80s, even though Zulavsky has been doing 80s films since the 70s. Um, <laughs> Boris Gadinov is an opera. I've got nothing to say on the opera, Ben, so over to you on the opera. Okay, so this is uh, Boris Godunov. Um It is the movie version of the opera, Boris Godunov, um, <laughs> which is about Russia, and it's about the new czar of Russia, um, who has come in at a time of immense bloodshed and upheaval, ruling over a time of immense bloodshed and upheaval. And I need to, I, I can't emphasize this point enough. This movie is an opera. Um, if you don't like opera, you don't <laughs> want to watch this because it is an opera. Um, having said that, I'm now going to launch into it. I really, really, really loved this film. I was not expecting to at all, um, because it is an opera, but okay. So, um, I, I, I'm not like the biggest opera guy in the world, but I've seen some operas. I've, I've seen about seven or something that makes um, you an absolute stonewall <laughs> fan ben as far as i'm concerned <laughs> do you, well, i did see an opera yesterday in fact. indeed so basically you are one of those thin thinly spectacled look middle class uh you know oh look, yes look, that was a great third look, bar or when your something. partner works at the royal opera house you're gonna <laughs> get some free tickets to go and see some operas okay so you, you know what are, what are you gonna do just indeed score? Now, opera movie-wise, the only I've, I've tried watching a few of them, but none of them really work. The only movie that really works for me, and I know you're not a, a fan, but it's the Bergman version of The Magic Flute, because mm. what Bergman did with The Magic Flute was he made uh, a fantastic piece of Mozart, but he also made a fantastic piece of Bergman. He brought them together, and he, he brought intimacy to opera, which doesn't exist when it's on the stage and doesn't exist when anyone else films it because no one else is Bergman and they're not looking for intimacy. They're looking for a spectacle. Um, what I loved about Boris Godunov was that Zolovsky's bringing all of his Zolovskiness to this movie as well. Um, it's not just Boris Godunov, the opera. It is a Zolovsky movie, 100%. So we start off with uh, people filtering into the opera house, everyone finding their seats, and then you've got the camera up on the stage, and I was like, hey, hey, look, Zolowski, he's showing the lights, he's showing the camera. Is that Zolowski sitting at the camera? Why, yes, it is, being wheeled around everywhere. And I thought, okay, we're in familiar territory. And then there's the backdrop material, a knife comes in, cuts through, the characters walk through, out through this backdrop, cutting away the artifice, and boof, we're in a castle, we're in the forest, we're in real locations. And I was like, oh yeah, go, go Andre, you, you've done this one. He's tearing it out of the kind of stagey opera house 
arena, putting it into the real world. That's why. And he's, and all of a sudden, I want to go back now and watch those other '80s movies that I poured scorn on because suddenly I kind of got the idea that opera is not about the story of what's happening. Uh, Boris Godunov, he's taken the throne of the Tsar. Other people want it. There's a guy called Gregory. Oh, should we? Uh, how do how do we stop this guy? Um, it's not really about the plot. It's about the emotions. That's what you, no one goes to watch an opera because of the amazing story. You go to watch it because of the music and the emotions within the music. And Zolovsky's filmmaking style matches this so well. Zolovsky's kind of his love of people being weird and over the top and dramatic. And all of a sudden it started making a lot more sense to me because this film was far more interesting um, and kind of far easier to watch than like uh, uh, My Nights Are More Beautiful Than Your Days or uh, what was the other one we watched? <laughs> Amor, yeah, Amor Brock. Um, but I'd like to go back and watch them with the idea that perhaps Solovsky is just interested in emotion and perhaps he's not, he doesn't really give a fig about storytelling. Maybe that's a thing, because I think it might be. So, you know, in, in essence, I love this. And uh, another thing that I'd like to mention here, well, two things actually. Um, uh, I was very interested to find out whether or not these are actually opera singers in it, because as you know, in the Bergman Magic Flute, um, they're all opera singers and they actually sang their parts. In Boris Goodenough, only three of these people are opera singers. The rest of them are actors, which I thought was interesting. Another thing that I thought was fascinating was the the, um, the conductor for this performance of Boris Goodenough. Um, it, it cost $1 million to create the recording that the film is based on. It's a lot of money. Um, but then the conductor tried to sue Zolovsky um, because of how he changed the the order of the of the opera because he he's moved bits around he's changed it around which is, again that's exactly what Bergman did with the magic flute um, and that's because the composer isn't a filmmaker and he doesn't understand how to make films and filmmaking is not the same as composing a piece of music or writing a book or it's it's a different thing um, and I I was I'm all in on Boris Goodenough I'm 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 alone here. I would say that even most of the time, the director doesn't know how to make films. Anyway, <laughs> uh, 1991, The Blue Note. Um, it's about the composer who goes by the name of Chopin. You may have heard oh. of him. And how he gets torn between two different love interests, Ben. Um, this is Zalavsky's most opulent film for me. Yes. Uh, this is Zalavsky's most colourful film, by far. And it actually makes a huge difference to me. Like It's actually a refreshing change. Because if you go back to if you go back to the early films we've already talked about, there's an element of you know, albeit critiqued, but there was a there was an opulent angle to those, like dancing in ballrooms and blood everywhere and stuff. Yeah, but, but this no is color. actually yeah, but this is but there was no color. It was like he sat at a computer and just drained it all out, even though he didn't obviously because there's no such thing about them. But although maybe he did in some way, but anyway, you get the mm. idea anyway. But yeah. this the, he lets the colors shine here. It's a, it's an yeah. interesting little thing. Everything else, however, is pretty much exactly the same. You've got characters goofing around. You've got camera angles. You've got camera angles, Ben. You've got camera angles. You've got camera yeah. angles. ETC, ETC, Ben, you've got camera angles. <laughs> there, there were some bits that I was, I was kind of fascinated by this film a little bit. It wasn't the big win that Boris Gunnar was for me. It gets all a bit kind of uh, funny facial expressions and wackiness. But Farcical. 
I, I wish I'd watched Boris Godunov before I watched the Blue Note as well, because I would have had a, a different head on. One head that I did have on was um, uh, De- Delacroix, the artist, who is yep. a character in this film. So you've got a lot of all these characters are real people. So you've got Chopin, you've got uh, George Sand with the, the nom de plume yep. of the lady whose house everyone is kind of living in. And you've also got um, Delacroix, the artist, turning up. Now, this film has the colours of a Delacroix painting, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, so I was I was in straight away. I was like, oh, hello, look what we're doing here. So there's a lot of referencing romantic era stuff going on here. And I am not, despite having seen about six or seven operas, I am not an expert on this kind of stuff, but I, I know a Delacroix painting, so I know he, that's going on. I don't know Georges Sand, so I don't know what's being dropped in there from her world, um, but I did after the fact, go back and find out um, what her children did, Solange and uh, what's his name? Cleo? The other other guy, Lauren? Mm. Anyway, he ends up becoming uh, a children's illustrator and in this film he's making um, puppets or marionettes of all the main characters so that you end up with this final scene where all of the characters are operating the marionette of themselves and explaining what happens at the end. And there's obviously a very kind of playful connection to the source material here. He's he's obviously referencing what these people did and how they did it. Um, a, a, A key figure turns up in the last like 30 minutes of the film, who's a sculptor who ends up marrying uh, Solange, played by Sophie Marceau. Uh, Got to get a, a cool part of your wife in to your movies. And yeah, not, uh, and not slap her around, I guess. Not, not slap her around quite so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate this film. I didn't love it as much as I liked other Zlowski films. There were definite high points. I thought that Marie France Pissier, who plays Georges Sand, the writer, I thought she was the the shining star of this film for me. Um, which is kind of interesting because, um, you know, Sophie Marceau is glowing and wonderful and fantastic. And she lit up the screen in L'Amour Braque and um, she was the best thing about My Nights More Beautiful Than Your Days. But Marie-France Pizier is just really dynamic in this film. It's the kind of controlling matriarch of everything. Um, yeah, but there you've got angles. You've also got monsters. Monsters are fun. Everyone likes monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the monsters being the fact that uh, he made some other films that are just completely unwatchable. <laughs> oh, you meant monsters in the oh, you meant monsters in the actual movie? Yes, movie. yes, of course. Harambe, the Demogorgon. Sorry about that. I, I, can you can you tell that I am at my cynical end of Zalavsky now? We've got uh, two. We, uh, we, thankfully, we, thankfully, we nearly are at the end. Thankfully, but uh, you know, left. You've got this. You can do this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, we shall imminently be talking about them. But uh, oh my days! Oh my days! I feel like the, the Blue Note might be the inroad to Zalowski for for some people. There Maybe some so. People. That yeah. I will agree with, actually. People who like that's Peter a... Greenaway or Derek Jarman, I think, would really get on with this film. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a fair point. As we move on to his final ones now, that's, a, that's, yeah. an, actually, that's an interesting point to, to rediscover right at the end of our conversation here, I think. Yeah. Shamanka, then. Yes. 1996. An anthropology professor becomes increasingly obsessed with a disturbed woman who is known only as the Italian. So we've finally reached the end of our look at Zlovsky Ben. And yes. uh, we've been in the 90s for one other film. Yes. Uh, this is 
his <clears throat> only other 90s film. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of gaps around this kind of period of his life. We'll come to you yeah. about why that might be, because I'm not entirely sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, what, what I am sure about is that I think I've made it quite clear to everyone at this point of looking at Zelensky that I've kind of run out of things to say. <laughs> uh, and I've got really nothing new to offer this time. I, uh, I, but just like... It. Just like, for me, Zalaski himself hasn't anything new to offer, which is mm-hmm. the problem for me. But, yeah, thankfully, yeah. thankfully, you're here. Yes. Uh, yes. You're a fan, you're a proper fan. I'm a, you yeah, see I'm a big through fan. the veneer of bullshit, mediocrity, and repetitiveness. So, therefore, Ben, Shamanka 1996, you tweeted a picture of it. You like yes. it. Why? I, uh, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I've been avoiding this film ever since I discovered Andrzej Zalowski because I'm not a fan of the, the story about the beautiful woman who everyone wants to have sex with. Um, that movie just <laughs> leaves, that movie leaves me cold. So you get, you get movies like Melina, for example. Um, and I'm just like, oh God, this is, this is just horrific and I can't enjoy it whatsoever. And I thought that's what Samantha was going to be. And oh boy, was I wrong there. So we've we've we're in late stage Solowski now, and I have to say that these two films that we're looking at here, Samanka and La Fidelité, I, it feels like he's grown up a lot. He's changed quite radically. I mean, some things are exactly the same. So, Shemanka, some things. Some things. So you still. <laughs> You've still got this kinetic camera roving around all the time. The camera that you saw from Possession. Um, you've got this central character who is a, a, a complete match for a lot of the central female characters that we've seen in other Solovsky films. But then the rest of the movie is kind of sedate. All the people around the Italian are much more normal. Um, for me, this is, I, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, the number three Zalowski movie. Um, it's just jumped to number three. So we've got Possession and L'Empotin said a mare at the, the top two places, and I just adored this. I thought it looked amazing. It's by far, for me, the, the best-looking Zalowski film ever made. Everything about this looks fantastic. The sets are wonderful. Everything is so grimy and dirty. Um, and Ivona Petri as the Italian, is freaking astonishing. Um, she is she's Isabelle Agenie from Possession without the first half of Possession. She, you just walk in and she here we are, second half. Um, and you watch this woman discover uh, how she feels about someone. So you, we start off with a couple of awkward sex scenes with her and other people. And she, she doesn't enjoy sex. It just leaves her completely cold. And then the shaman, Mikael, kind of wakes something up in her, which he then can't control. Um, she becomes much, much bigger than him. Um, and then this, the, the finding of this uh, prehistoric dead shaman um, who's covered, covered in psilocybin mushrooms, um, which everyone then eats. Uh, I, uh, 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 let me count the ways. I really got on with, with this film. I, f- I found this uh, this was wonderful, ramped up to 11, Solovsky mentalness, without the kind of repetitive, screaming madness of some of the other films. Um, uh, uh, there was a real... So- some of the other films. There's a real low point in the 80s for me where everyone was just running around screaming, quoting Shakespeare and poetry and stuff. And Only you know. the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> it got bad in the 80s. Um, but yeah, oh, I really got on with this. I, I found this very, very primal, very simple. Um, it's like a, an Edvard Munch series of images. It's like woodcuts. It was. Uh, this really worked for me. That I will be purchasing this movie on DVD. <laughs> <So what? laughs> 
<laughs> and Good. I, I think there's probably a lot of that in the fact that this is the only film, apart from uh, Boris Godunov, that he didn't write. Someone else wrote this. This is not his story. Um, this is not his dialogue that people are speaking. <clears throat> and I, th I think it benefits from that. I think he was starting to kind of like fall down his belly button a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I really enjoyed this. If, if you like Possession, but it's not intense enough for you, go watch Shamanka. Yeah. Yeah. There is nobody that would watch Possession and think it isn't <laughs> intense enough. That, that, that person can't exist, Ben. It just can't. What you get here is if you want Possession, but something that doesn't. Like, like, well, I, no, we'll save that for the end. We'll save it for the end summary. Um, La Fidelité? Yeah, La Fidelité. So, again, <clears throat> this, for me, this feels like a, the most mature Zalowski film. And this, uh, we've seen, I've seen them all now. That's it. They're all done. Watch them. <laughs> so I can say, unequivocally, this is the most mature Zalowski film. It is. It, it, he's rammed down the screaming. Um, there's pretty much no yelling and running around in this. You've still got machine guns and terrorists and people doing odd things. Um, but the odd things play out much more realistically in this. So you have people just announcing things that they shouldn't announce. Um, you've also in La Fidelité, okay, Zolovsky's back. He's writing again with someone else for sure. Um, but this feels like a very tempered, um, Zalowski film. It's very anti-business. It's very anti-money. It's about a photographer who starts working for um, a newspaper magnate whose name is Mr. McRoy, which I feel like being mm. that Zalowski's done, he's poked fun at Disney previously. Um, this this is Mr. Hamburgers, right? This is mm. Mr. Big Mac, Mr. Burger King. Um, and they're constantly drawing parallels between the world of sensationalist newspapers and pornography and art and kind of conflating them together i didn't realize that france had the same kind of sensationalist journalists that we had over here i thought that was unique to britain i didn't i didn't realize that other countries had people oh sure doing this kind of thing that was kind of interesting i, I thought there was there were certain laws about what you could and couldn't publish outside of the uk but no live and learn apparently not um, so yeah, she, she gets a job as a photographer, this paper, she, she meets this lovely guy. Um, and she then goes off on a series of adventures with these other people. Again, everyone fancies Sophie Marceau in this film. Everyone is trying on yep. with her all the time, but the, the change is that she stays faithful to her husband throughout, despite the fact that he doesn't believe her. And whereas Shamanka is a very, very simple primal carved out of wood and made of entrails kind of movie fidelity is far more like a novel is very complicated there's a lot of things going on here it's very long as well or it feels long mm -hmm. um and yeah it, it's not a kind of simple thing so you've got you've got issues of faithfulness and fidelity tied in with issues of art and pornography and selling yourself um and I, these things are supposed to collapse together for me. And th this was a really good acting movie for me as well. Um, my highlight was Edith Scobb, uh, who is wonderful. If there's anyone out there who remembers uh, Le Yeux Saint, Saint Visage, Eyes Without a Face, the lady in that. Um, Edith is back, much older, playing a, a very kind of full-on um, version of perhaps what Sophie Marceau is going to turn into if she 
if she sells herself out, perhaps this is the inevitable conclusion of where you go. I don't know. There, there's a lot going on in La Fidelite. Um, I think this might be the Zolowski film for people who don't like Zolowski at all. Um, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I found it kind of fascinating. I want to see this again. It was long. Lots happened. At the very end, it starts. It um, begins a fictionalized version of itself from the start. The, there was a lot happening in this movie for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I like that. This was a very mature week for me. Tracking shots plus yes. running woman minus yes. storytelling equals yeah. Zalavsky. <laughs> she would... has some of the best tracking shots of a woman walking around I've ever seen in my life. I was like, oh I... my god. I was never any good at maths, Ben, but that equation adds up pretty damn well for me, which is why at this juncture I'd like to offer up a Zalowski drinking game. Is that all right? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Using the above equation, which applies to fidelity more than anything else, drink a shot of something when there is a tracking shot of said woman. Uh, and do it, importantly, do it from his first movie, way yeah, back right, in 1971. Right. What will end up happening is that you remain sober enough, just, and I mean just about sober enough, to take in the absolute genius that is Possession. Mm. Then, come the end of Possession, you'll be comatose, and therefore unable to watch everything else afterwards, which for me would be an absolute win, Ben. And that would include Cosmos 2015, his last ever film as a director. Again, a huge gap uh, between La Fidelité and this. It's about a couple of French students who arrive into a guest house. They find all is not what it seems, birds and even pieces of wood are being hung by their necks, if a wood has a neck. And, uh, yeah, but at least they can be seduced by two women as part of the family that live in the guest house. Again, nothing that hasn't happened before. Two leads that are slightly, and I do agree, I do agree that he's calmed down a little bit here, two leads that are slightly less maniacal than normal, which means you can probably tolerate, tolerate them longer than usual if you're not a Zalewski fan like I am. But you've still got your slapstick. You've still got lots of loud conversations that take place all the time. You've still got loud kind of conversations that take place at the dinner table, really. I crave dinner table scenes in, in Scandinavian cinema because, yes, things happen. Uh, but they kind of start off at a quiet level and then eventually build up. Here, mm-hmm. the conversations at the dinner table in Zalaski movies are full throttle every single time. And people are still eating and drinking during them. Yeah, a lot Which of just like, in amongst all of that, it's just it's just baffling. But it, it that is interesting, but still baffling. Um, so, yeah, you know, your thoughts on Cos- Cosmos, Ben? The final Zolowski film. Cosmos, which was the first and to date only Zolowski film that I saw at the cinema. Right. Uh, and I was very, very excited <laughs> about seeing this film at the cinema when it came out. And then Zolowski went and died right before it came out, which was um, uh, upsetting for me, to say the least. Um, this was pre-David Bowie as well. So, uh, you know, people didn't know how to feel about things at that time. <laughs> and I was really upset that Zolowski died. So I went to the cinema to go and see this. It was a special screening at the ICA with Daniel Bird, who is Zolowski's kind of assistant and his translator. And he, he's worked with Zolowski for since like 96 or something. Um, but it was also, also there. There was a, an academic who's an expert on Vitel Gombrovich. And I didn't know anything about Gombrovich before I went to see this film. Uh, and then I listened to this guy talk about Gombrovich a lot. And then I went and read the Gombrovich Diaries which are extremely long and very strange. Um, 
But what this academic said is that something that a lot of people, we, we talk about Polish cinema a lot and we talk about Polanski and Zolowski and all these people. And Gombrowicz is, is where they all stem from. So they're, they're not coming from, whereas you get like Akira Kurosawa is growing up in John Ford Westerns yeah. and he's showing you Japan through the lens of a John Ford fan. Um, these Polish filmmakers who sprung up in the like 50s and 60s and 70s, are not necessarily looking at any pre-existing cinema. They're looking at Gombrowicz and the the enormous impact that this surrealist writer had on their culture. It, it's it's really profound. I don't want to go into it too much, but I would recommend that someone look up the kind of bare bones of the impact that Gombrowicz had on the the Polish literati and the kind of Polish presence in the world because it's not insubstantial. It's gonna surprise you a lot. Um, so Cosmos is Zalowski's final film. It's his first and only Witold Gombrowicz adaptation. This film is an odd duck, which <laughs> to say an odd duck about Zalowski's career might seem <laughs> unnecessary, but it is an odd duck. It's it's uh, it's got a kind of like. It feels like a kind of murder mystery in a house in the countryside kind yeah. of thing, but but it, there is no murder mystery going on. There are omens, portents of doom, dead animals and things hanging, which might be communicating a message. There might be some kind of the world might have a story to tell or it might just all be madness and interpretation. That's also possible. Um, one of our main characters falls in love with the just married daughter of his hosts in the countryside. Um, and a lot of Cosmos is for the audience is how much you can handle watching Jonathan Ganey and Victoria Guerra on screen. Both of them are quite eye catching. Um, they're both doing a lot with, I don't know th their performances are comic to say the least. Um, this film is turned up to 11, which is unsurprising for a Zolowski. Really? For a Zolowski movie? Yes, yes. But believe it or not, Theo, this has turned up to 11 for Zolowski. This is <laughs> loud and this is over the top. Um, as it goes on, this also seems to be, I don't know if this is, because I haven't read the Gombrowicz novel. It hasn't been translated into English. Give me a moment. I need someone to translate stuff. Um, so I'm not sure whether this is part of the book, but as it goes on, he seems to start putting in digs at pop culture again and throughout his whole career he's just stabbing at an audience's love affair with america and the cartoon and disney and the easy answer which he feels doesn't belong in cinema whatsoever yeah. and he's quite he's quite right and it gets more and more into this as it goes on it starts off with the introduction of a character called tintin who dresses like tintin um and then the last 20 minutes of the film all the kind of filmmaking machinery is revealed bit by bit until finally you're in a place where there is no distinction between the fake world and the film being made and the filmmaker, which is something Zlowski has done time and time again. Um, it gives me so much hope that you get some people who get older and just get more difficult as they get old. They don't do the Scorsese thing and just start making easily consumable packaged items. They just get stabbier and more vicious and more difficult i'm not convinced that the use of digital filmmaking technology was a good match for zolowski i think his films looked much better on 35 mil um i think it would have been interesting if someone else 
had advised him on this because it felt to me like a lot of older filmmakers, uh, Paul Schrader is one, Francis Ford Coppola is another. They jump in on the digital filmmaking technology bandwagon and they they make films which just the the the, the depth of field is too deep. Um, their love of wide angle lenses doesn't translate to digital technology in the same way it does to cinema. You end up making stuff which looks a bit TV, guys. Um, I would have liked to have seen this done with a different technical advisor who made some different choices. Um, that's pretty much where I stand on Cosmos. It feels to me like uh, a story that was stopped a little bit too early. I would have very much liked to have seen what he did next. This was his first film for 15 years um, because he decided that it was more important to live a life than to make films. Um, which is, yeah, an, an interesting, an interesting thought. But I, I feel like he was just about to come back and do some more. I think his son is now making um, a film that he wrote now. So let's see where that goes. Speaking of going, we done. <laughs> we are done with Zalafsky, Ben. Good and God! What a Good journey. God. It was intense. I love Andrei Zalovsky, but I've watched too many Zalovsky films this year, I can tell Indeed. you. Indeed. We've been through them all, or, or at least the ones he's directed. Now it's time to summarise everything, Ben. And it's very easy for me. Yeah. I've not enjoyed the journey. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no, a reason. There's a yeah. really important reason why that is. And that is, for me, he didn't know what to do after mm. one film in particular... Would you like to guess what film that is? <laughs> well, do you know what? Do you know what? I'm wondering if we just all tapped into possession um, in a way that we didn't. We just didn't tap into. It's like like a kind of radio frequency thing. Like he he was always broadcasting at the same frequency, but for some reason we all kind of adjusted our radios and tapped into possession perfectly, and then never anything else. But the, the way I see this, and you may disagree, is it yeah. felt it felt that everything leading up to possession resulted in possession happening. Yes, which is I, why absolutely. which is why it was so brilliant. He was sort of learning his craft. He was seeing what he could get away with himself. Never mind what yeah. other people could tolerate. Yeah, possession happened. It ends with the with the entire thing blowing up into white, which is still yeah. masterpiece ending for yeah. me in what is what is a masterpiece film, no doubt. So then I'm thinking. What else are you going to do? Where's your next step? You've blown everything up. You've potentially blown mm -hmm. cinema up. Where's mm -hmm. next? And he repeated himself mm. endlessly but, with but lesser more... good films. Yeah, it, and it, I it, can't it... think of many directors that happened to Ben. Are really, really, especially ones that are revered like Zalewski. It's yeah. just a major disappointment to me when I look at his entire career. I'm not seeing a journey. I'm not seeing a progression. It doesn't always have to be that your, your best films at the end and your, and your first one shit. I'm not yeah. after that necessarily, but I'm after some sort of some sort of progress, some sort of yeah. journey that is understanding of this medium that he's working in. And for me, it was almost like, well, I've done Possession now, and who gives a shit? It's yeah, almost, I gone. felt that with him. And I Everything, may be wrong. Of course I might be wrong, no, but... No, no. Everything is, is so complicated, and there's so much furniture going on, and Possession is gorgeous. It's like a woodcut. It's such a simple... Um, it's such a simple story of few people. Um, he's still doing all his Zolovsky stuff, like, exactly, you know, they, but at that point, but, we're like, we're, I wanted more things. But also, and stress this as well, I did not want Possession 2. No, no one did. But like even, I can't remember his name, but you know the, the guy that she's having an affair with, the um, uh, who, who turns up and he's all weird. He's, he's doing the Zolowski weird acting 
the turnaround thing. But when you kind of scale it down and you make it primal, everything really works. The more simple Zalowski is, the better he works. That's why L'Emportant Sedemir and Possession, for me, I mean, to be honest, some others really work for me as well. Um, but it's always when he's bare bones. When yeah. he starts giving more dialogue, giving more characters, and things get a little bit chaotic which is what he wants to do so hush my mouth for making that suggestion but personally i prefer it when he's working with a smaller palette fewer people less dialogue it works better for me i mean i mean possession wasn't a success right it was moderate success if that it's it's become more of a thing now but um, it's almost as if well i've put my heart and soul into that no one really gave a shit about it therefore sod you all i'm gonna do what i want to do for the rest of my career which is enti- you know, he's an auteur, he's entitled to do that, and he remains an auteur, despite the fact that he's only made one truly great film. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, enough, yeah. that's enough. You know? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people wish they could make one great film. He, he, some people are still trying after 50 years. So, was, you yeah. know, that is fine then. And I, I, on that note, I think we'll leave it. It's okay to do yeah. that. Yeah, it is. I mean, and what a fascinating uh, figure in cinema. There, there are very, very few people like this. Um and, you know, I would recommend that the, the listener takes a little journey, dips a toe into the water of Zolowski, see, see, move out of the pool of possession and try out some of the other ones. See what you think. <laughs>